WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. We are now just over three weeks away from the midterm elections with early voting starting this Thursday. And a lot is at stake from the economy to abortion rights, some big issues likely driving folks to the polls. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll hear about how Mecklenburg County is preparing for early voting. But first, we're already getting a sense of how things are shaping up. Joining us now is Catawba College political professor, a friend of the show, Michael Bitzer. Dr. Bitzer, thanks as always for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure as always. All right, what, if anything, can we glean from the absentee ballots that have been cast so far? I would be cautious in trying to read too much into the tea leaves, other than there appears to be a sustained and energized momentum, particularly among women voters. Uh, women are making up substantial majorities of these early ballots, both requested and returned so far. We are substantially ahead of 2018's numbers, but we're paling in comparison to 2020, which is not to be unexpected expected due to COVID during that particular election. But I, I caution folks to try and not read too much into these numbers, simply because if we looked at only the mail-in votes in 2020, Joe Biden would have won North Carolina 70% to 30%. That didn't happen. Donald Trump ended up winning uh, North Carolina. And I think what this says is there's another healthy uh, uh, amount of absentee by mail ballots coming in, but we have early in-person voting starting on October 20th. We, of course, have election day. So I think in the grand scheme of things, this seems to indicate some momentum, particularly among Democratic and unaffiliated women, but we'll just have to wait and see how the next couple of weeks play out. Your point, though, is that, that oftentimes Democrats over-index when it comes to some of these absentee ballots, uh, traditionally speaking. Exactly. Both uh, with absentee by mail, which is a relatively new phenomenon for Democrats to be utilizing. Before 2020, it was heavily Republicans who utilized absentee by mail ballot. 2020 shifted that dynamic. Democrats also tend to use early in-person voting those couple of weeks before Election Day. But on Election Day, it tends to be more Republican. And that tends to even things out, giving a slight edge often times to Republicans. So rare do you see uh, <clears throat> one race, one year completely change voter trends and, and how the different parties operate. It's, it's very, very interesting. Uh, let's talk about uh, trends in voter registration. Anything we can glean from that? We're still seeing a continued healthy increase uh, with uh, voter registration having ended. Uh, we are now into the same day registration period moving forward towards November 8th. But the numbers seem to indicate a, a comparable amount of people registering for this election as they did in 2018. No real surprises, but the continuation for those of us who study the, these, this data 
is the rise of the unaffiliated voters. Over 50% of people registering now are registering unaffiliated. That is being driven by uh, voters under the age of 40, particularly Gen Z is well in the unaffiliated camp, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily political independents. They may just simply not like the party labels, but they are indeed partisans when they end up voting uh, in elections. All right, let's talk about some of the races. Uh, chief among them, the U.S. Senate race. Polls right now show uh, the, the race uh, dead heat within the margin of error for uh, uh, Bud and Beasley. Uh, where do you see this race as we go into early voting? It is certainly the sleeper race, I think, of the U.S. Senate races. Uh, maybe Nevada's race is the other sleeper race that folks are starting to pay attention to. But North Carolina has a tradition of basically having the margin of victory being in the margin of error. If you look at all of these polls and take into account the margin of error and the bandwidth that both candidates have, we will ultimately end up somewhere in that bandwidth. Yes, Beasley is having a very good race, all things considered, uh, particularly in what should be a pro-Republican advantage year of a midterm year. But this is going to be down to the wire, I think, unless there is a late break, and that typically moves to the uh, party that is opposite the president's party, and that would benefit Bud and Republicans. You mentioned it was a sleeper. Why do you think that was? I mean, we, we talked about this after the Tillis Cunningham race, um, you know, that this could be another barn burner and be one of the most expensive races in the country. And and at one point, Laura Trump might run for this seat. And, right. and uh, Pat McCrory ran for the seat, of course. Jeff Jackson was in the race at one point. And I feel like it's sort of, I don't want to say fizzled out, but not been what some people predicted it thought it might be. It certainly has not been the barn burner. And if you look just at the money coming into North Carolina, yes, we're starting to get some multi-million dollar ad buys because of the level of competitiveness. But I think Democrats look at North Carolina and aren't really sure statewide what they can do to make it a Democratic victory. There have been Democrats. Uh, Roy Cooper, for example, who have shown the success path to get towards victory on Election Day. But I think for a lot of national strategists, maybe they've just gotten burned too many times. It's been since Kay Hagan won a U.S. Senate seat in 2008. Democrats have not been successful. Maybe they're just looking at North Carolina saying, we can't quite figure out what to do in that state. And so we'll kind of hold back. Uh, all right. There's also 14 congressional races uh, on the line, um, including a, a battle for the 14th district. That's the brand new uh, congressional district created uh, following that new census data. Jeff Jackson, Pat Harrigan trading jabs. Um, what is, of the congressional races, which one are you looking at most closely? Yes, the 14th has some interest, but it is much more of a Democratic-leaning district than the 13th Congressional District, which is housed in South Raleigh, South Wake County, into Johnston and Wayne and Harnett counties. I think all of the national attention really is on that 13th Congressional District, Wiley Nickel, the uh, Democrat versus Bo Hines, the Trump Republican. I think in the 14th, certainly the expectation is that that 
is based on past elections, a very likely Democratic seat, about 58% Democratic by my measurements. But if Democrats are not having the night that they need to have, if there are indeed uh, Republican waves going on, that race may be closer than what it could be in terms of the normal dynamics. And we expect all these districts will change again next year. <laughs> don't don't get used to this map and don't get used to these district configurations because for you know the umpteenth decade yet again, North Carolina will be redrawing its congressional districts after the first attempt. So yes, uh, get used to these until November eighth. After November 9th, all bets are off. Get used to them and then don't get used to them. Um, final question, uh, the Dobbs ruling. You mentioned this earlier when you talked about registration and absentee ballots. Um, the decision to overturn a federal right to abortion. How do you think it's factoring into this race here in North Carolina? I think it is certainly like the nation as a whole, it has lit a fire under Democrats and they needed something to energize them. They needed something to mobilize their base and they got that with the Dobbs decision. The question is, can that energy and momentum be sustained for the next couple of weeks up to November 8th? We'll just have to wait and see. But you know, in all other dynamics, this is a Republican advantage year. That one issue has made it the competitiveness that we are seeing in North Carolina and across the country. All right, Professor of Politics at Catawba College. Dr. Bitzer, thanks as always. We do appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we are now just a matter of days away from the start of early voting. Here in North Carolina, you can start heading to a handful of select polling locations starting Thursday. Joining us now, Michael Dickerson, the longtime director of elections here in Mecklenburg County. Mr. Dickerson, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right. We're already seeing a, a number of absentee ballots um, coming in uh, at your office. H how do they compare uh, to, say, the last midterms? Yeah, correct. We're, we're running ahead of uh, the last midterm al already. Um, I think we're already sent out about 21, 22,000 requests already and uh, received about 3,000, 3, uh, a little over 3,000, 3,200 uh, 3, back so, of, so far. So those are good numbers. Uh, those are, are great numbers. Um, ever since the pandemic, we kind of trying to figure out exactly how people are going to, uh, to vote. Um, uh, what's going to be their new course? So we're uh, we're still judging that and trying to figure that out. Are we are we able to read into anything as far as how that what that means for early voting? Say, and, well, I, I think what we have seen in the past few elections, we've had uh, we've already had, this has already been a full election year. Um, in 2021, we only had the the uh, uh, small municipality elections. In 2022, we we've had a primary election in May, a city of Charlotte a general election in July, and now we're going to have a November general midterm election. So we've already seen that uh, if you put early voting out there, the folks will go out and they'll they'll vote early. They seem to have uh, picked that up. That seems to be a residual of of, uh, of a couple of things. Um, the pandemic uh, in 2020 and and just the, the sheer pleasure of being able to go vote when you want to vote at a at an early voting site so those are those are things that we have looked at and those are things we have noticed 
So we're hoping that uh, early voting continues this year. I, I think it's a great opportunity for folks to uh, to get out and vote. All right, make us your pitch. Uh, the the there's a number of locations they start they open this Thursday uh, mm -hmm. coming up, and, and people can go in easy breezy in and out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We've got 24 sites throughout the county, uh, uh, so you can go to any of the sites. We've got uh, park and rec centers. We've got libraries. We've got. Uh, uh, I, yeah, Bank of America Stadium uh, again this year. We've got uh, all of these places uh, that are available for us this year, uh, and we're encouraging everybody to get out and vote early. You, we're going to start weekdays. Uh, the hour is going to be 8 to 730, uh, Saturdays 8 to 3, and Sundays uh, 1 to 4. Now, keep in mind that we close the uh, last Saturday before the election at 3 o'clock that day, so make sure you go if you're going to go vote early, go do it um, uh, earlier in the process, and there will be nobody to – you shouldn't have any lines, you shouldn't have any crowds or anything like that, but it's an easy process. You go in, and once you go in and vote, your your name is tagged as voting, and that does not permit you to go anywhere else, does not permit you to go on Election Day and vote. If you uh, if you try something like that or if you, you, you're going to be turned away and say, well, we don't have you on the books, you've already voted – uh, so that's uh, it's a great fail-safe method of, of being able to uh, get out and vote and, and do it when you want to do it. Um, you were recently part of a bipartisan forum helping restore faith in, uh, in our electoral system, hosted by Jennifer Roberts, former mayor, and Judge Orr as well. We had them on Flashpoint. Um, mm -hmm. There are still never folks that you can never be able to convince um, that our elections are safe and fair and uh what would you say to folks out there to uh, restore their faith in our electoral system? Well, it, it's it's funny uh, because that whole trusted elections program that went on was a great effort, and we uh, we appreciate being able to take part and be a be a part of that uh, effort by. Uh, Mayor Roberts and Judge Orr and and everybody associated with that, uh, they went across the state uh, to all I think 14 congressional districts. We did a virtual one too, so it is um, it was a it was a pleasure to work with that. Uh, if if you looked at any of those, and I had the good fortune of participating in two of them, one here in town and one virtual, uh, it was it was a convincing program where you had Democrats and Republicans, you had uh, unaffiliates, you had all of these people meant telling you, this is how the process works. It wasn't just uh, elections directors saying, yes, it's safe, or we're, we're sure of it and all of that. So of course we are. Uh, we do the job. We follow the law. We make sure we do what we're supposed to do. But this was the, these were uh, Republican lawyers and Democratic lawyers uh, throughout the state. These were Republican board members and Democratic board members from the Board of Elections uh, throughout the state saying, hey, this is how the process works. This is this is what we read into it. It's it's a it's a thorough process. It's vetted by both Dems and Republicans. And, and folks seem to understand uh, if you're involved in it. So to understand that it is a it is a process that has checks and balances on the whole uh, thing nothing is done in private everything is done in the open it's a it's a transparent uh, process uh, and we're out here for the voters I we don't I don't mean to put it this we don't care who wins uh, we and that doesn't we don't we don't we just count the votes 
and it's not for us to get participate to participate in and how somebody can win or how somebody can that's not our job we're just out here providing a service for the the voters of everybody's county and the state uh that's all we want to do we don't we're not trying to uh we don't have an agenda on anything we just want to make sure that these 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 machines work the the voting process is secure um you know like i mentioned we had two elections already uh and nobody seemed to question the security and the uh uh the integrity of those two elections the city of charlotte uh, uh general in july and the uh and the midterm primary everybody was satisfied with that not satisfied with the results of course if you don't win you're going to be upset sure but they were satisfied with the process worked and uh that's the confidence that we want to make sure that people have in this program i've been uh, i've been interviewing you now for uh the better part of the last 15 years um and, and i know I know you and your workers and how seriously you take your job uh, and the integrity with which you operate uh, that office. Uh, listen, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it as always. My pleasure, and thank you, Ben. Uh, seriously, we talked about 15 years. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it is it is you and people like you that get the message out that we do a, a, a good job and we're here for the voters. So uh, we appreciate that on your end. All right, Michael Dickerson. Thanks as always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, go vote. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Mecklenburg County leaders say they are getting concerned about how long it's taking for the Brooklyn Village Redevelopment Project in Uptown. As WCNC Trust Tradisha Wooded reports, the project has dealt with several delays. Well, right now the project is about four years underway and was delayed about two years, but developers say they initially estimated about 12 years to complete all phases. Developers released more updates on the Brooklyn Village project. Back in July of 2018, the county agreed to sell county land for a mixed-use development project. The development would bring hotels, retail, and 395 housing units with at least 10% affordable units. As developers continue to wrap up the planned phase one by 2023, some commissioners address concerns with one of the top concerns being affordable housing. I remember from the last meeting was um, a plea really for more affordable housing for lower thresholds. There were also other concerns about the amount of open space and the timing of the project. I, I, I just don't remember that we were told it was gonna take 12 years because I certainly remember uh, many developers contacting me afterward and asking when are they going to start turning dirt. Well, despite some concerns, the development was already approved and right now developers have about 36 months to complete construction in phase one. Reporting near Uptown, Tradisha Woodard, WCNC Charlotte. The trouble brewing over a local book ban in a local school district. That coming up after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Controversy growing in Cabarrus County Schools about who gets to remove a book in the district. For weeks now, a school board committee and the district lawyer have worked to change the current policy. And right now, parents, students, and staff in the district can start the process to get a book removed. But as WCNC Charles Shamaria Morrison explains, some board members want to expand that. The book, Looking for Alaska, was the catalyst for some Cabarrus County parents petitioning for the district's book-removing policy to change. This has got to be the stupidest thing ever. Make me understand 
why a kid needs to learn how to give oral sex. The author of the book says parents are taking some scenes in the book out of context. Nonetheless, someone wanted to start the process to ban the book, but anonymously. That move drawing criticism. I definitely don't want this policy to be anonymous. I think if somebody wants something done, they should be willing to put their name and put their money where their mouth is. Right now, the board is leaning to opening the book banning process to anyone in the county over 18. Because, I mean, basically, they paid for these books. This is a reversal from a push a few weeks ago to give the board complete autonomy to remove books. Some board members want everything to slow down. I'm more concerned about making sure our public has enough time to digest this, this as a whole and, and give us feedback to it before we vote on it. Some parents are upset the national wave of book banning is going too far. Only about 100 people emailed the school board about looking for Alaska. But others say books have a place everywhere, just not in their kids' library. There are maturity levels in children on purpose. The fight on how books can be removed is now going back to a board committee. Shamari Morrison, WCNC Charlotte. All right, folks, come interact with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. If there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, check out our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.